Okay, I'm going to jump right in. Um, Brian kind of jumped over everything and went into 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to stick with the, the thing we've been doing. We ended with 1 Corinthians 9, and today I'm going to talk about 1 Corinthians 10. We'll probably get about 13 verses in. But uh, the title of this is Warnings and Encouragements. And I really believe, uh, well, you'll see as, as we get into it. I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to read from the NLT tonight. And uh, I'm going to start with verse 1. You can follow me in your, on your phones or your Bibles or your iPads, whatever you have there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Now, I just want you to say, see here that God supernaturally led his children the children of Israel. And, uh, I mean, it was so powerful. It was, you know, a cloud by, by day, a day and a fire by night. And he took them through the Red Sea. And, I mean, it's an amazing thing that happened. And uh, it said, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Now, he's going to tie this into Jesus. And then he goes on to say, all of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them, and, of course, they drank manna in the wilderness, if you remember, uh, and, you know, they'd have manna burgers at night. They'd have uh, manna cereal in the morning. And uh, anyway, uh, and, and actually it was very, very, it was very nutritious. And uh, anyway, I won't go into detail on that, but uh, the food was very nutritious, even though it got a little boring. Anyway, all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. In other words, Moses, uh, I mean, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes the Old Testament and he brings it into a New Testament context. And of course, the Holy Spirit was with him, God was with him, and Jesus was with him. And then he says, yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, that's the sad part of the story. Uh, You know, it's interesting that when we look at this, um, you think, boy, with all, with all the supernatural things that God was doing, that they would have been able to stay faithful to him, but they were unable to. And so as we move a little further down, um, moving on, it, first of all, I just want to ask you this. Paul's going to talk about things that came in and got the Israelites distracted, got them distracted from God, got them distracted from the, the mission that they were on. And, uh, and I believe he's using this because he's talking to the Corinthians because he doesn't want them to let these same distractions come in. And, and I want you to know, Corinthians is a great, it's, it's two great books because I believe the culture in Corinth, very, very similar to our culture today. Uh, there was rampant immorality. There was just... Uh, <laughs> There were all kinds of gods that were worshipped. I mean, there were all kinds of things that fit very similarly to our culture today. It's interesting, too, that the the Corinthians were the ones that really moved in the gifts of the Spirit. They really honored the Holy Spirit. They really moved in the gifts, but they also had some real struggles. And so I believe that this book, you know, both 1 and 2 Corinthians, is really applicable to us today. And uh, so as as it goes a little further, I'm going to pick it up. Uh, and Paul's talking about the things that they should have avoided and we should avoid, the Corinthians should avoid and we should avoid. In verse 6, he says, these things happened as a warning to us. 
See, he takes the Old Testament and he uses these the situations there to bring it over now into the New time, New Testament time, New Covenant time, and saying, you know, and it applies to us today. This is a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. And you say, ah, oh, well, we don't crave evil things today. Well, you know, you, of course, don't, but uh, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, that's in quotes. Anyway, um, the truth is that it goes on to say, not only did these things happen as a warning, but, uh, and it says, the evil things that they did, or worship idols as some of them did, as the scripture said, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, I want to just stop there for a minute, and uh, I want to just pause, and I want to move over to show you some areas. First of all, there's three areas that Paul's going to be talking about. The first one is idolatry. Now, lots of times we dismiss idolatry. We say, well, we don't worship idols. But let me, you know, it's really interesting. When we were singing that song, you know, My Heart Burns for You, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I, he gave me a different definition of idolatry. We've all heard definitions of idolatry. But basically, if your heart burns for something else more than it burns for God, that's idolatry. That, the Lord was just saying, here's a way to understand idolatry. If your heart burns for other things more than God, then that's a form of idolatry. You know, idolatry is letting other things come before God. You remember in the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. And, you know, he wasn't just talking. And in and, and present day, we don't have wooden statues or stone statues that we bow down to. But we have a lot of idols in our culture. Uh, you know, I mean, we can start with money. We can start with sex. We can, you know, we can just move on to all the different things that sometimes are elevated above God. Power. Fame, you know, just uh, all kinds of things, just that, that try to move God out to the side and try to take first place. And so whatever your heart burns for more than God, that's an idol. And that needs to go out of our life because it, it's, really, it's really destructive to us, but it's also hurtful to our relationship with God. And uh, in an Exodus 32.6, you can put that up, Exodus 32.6 actually says, it says, and this is what, Paul was referring to, he says, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And they weren't sacrificing off burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. They were doing it to pagan gods. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And, you know, here's what I want you to understand about Corinth. Corinth, on every corner, basically, had a temple to different gods and goddesses. And in those temples, there were temple prostitutes, both male and female temple prostitutes. And so Christians were getting sucked in, and they would go in, and they would go in there not to really worship, but they'd go in for the sexual purposes, and also, though, it was serving a pagan god at the same time. And so the Corinthians not only were, were dealing with idolatry, but also sexual immorality. And that's the, that's the second thing that Paul deals with here. Uh, he, he talks about it um, where he says right here in verse 7, uh, he talks about how, uh, or verse 8, I'm sorry, he says, we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Now think about that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's strange, but they got so caught up and, and by the way, it's a natural thing. God gave us all a sexual drive. 
Sex is not a bad thing. In fact, if we didn't have a sexual drive, our race would not continue to procreate. You know, the race would end. If everybody lost their sexual drive, there would be no children, there'd be no grandchildren, there'd be, the, the race would die. So God placed that in us. However, he also placed guidelines within that to make it a way that it would be a blessing and not distract us from God. And so in the midst of all of this, in fact, if you move to Numbers, I'm just, I'm just going to read from Numbers 25. And, and if you hang with me, and you can go over there to Numbers 25. I'm just going to read this from about verse 1 to verse 9. But you'll see here, this is what uh, Paul was referring back to. Let's see if I can find Numbers. Numbers, Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, there it is. Okay, Numbers 25, and just follow with me here. You can follow with me in whatever you're reading. It says this, While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moab women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So it wasn't only, it wasn't only sexual, but it was also idolatry. And then it goes on to say this, So the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal, of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. The Lord issued the following command to Moses, Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, so Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worship of Bel, Bel Peor, of Peor. Just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people, as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, the priest saw this, he jumped up left the assembly, took a spear, rushed after the man into the tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body into the woman's stomach so that the plague against Israel was stopped. But not before 24,000 had died. And don't ask me why it says 24,000 here and 23,000 in the New Testament. I don't know what happened, the extra thousand. Maybe they were evangelistically speaking in numbers. But anyway, what I want to see, what, what I want you to see, do you see how serious God was about the idolatry and the immorality? That he actually, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just glad we're under the new covenant because there's a lot more grace under the new covenant. But at the same time, he saw this as a really horrible thing that was perverting the entire culture. It was bringing perversion to the entire culture. And so to me, this seems a little extreme. At the same time, there was a blessing that came out of that. In fact, I'll just keep reading. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all of Israel as I intended to do in my zealous anger. Now tell him that I am making my special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant, I will give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood, for in his zeal for me... His God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a heavy passage. I mean, this is, this is really heavy how God blesses something that to me seems really intense. But 
I want you to just see how much God hates idolatry, how much he hates sexual immorality, because it draws people away from him. It puts a barrier between he and that person. And, and you know, it says that sin is, is it, it's, the word is delightful, or, or sin, sin has an attraction for a time. Otherwise, nobody would do it. However, when you look at it in terms of how God feels about it, it's so important. It's so important to recognize. And, you know, and, and I'll get into, uh, into the New Covenant, how God's grace really helps us in the midst of this. And Paul gets to this. So I want to give you the word for sexual immorality so you see exactly what it is. Uh, sexual immorality is the word pornea. And it actually, you know, it's interesting. It, it's actually illicit sexual intercourse. But in Corinth, it was tied to idolatry in Corinth's, in their pagan religion. And so it's really important to understand that this is the actual definition of immorality. And uh, if you look at the Greek, and I'm not going to get into this because it seems like, I don't know why, whenever it's my turn to preach, it seems like sexual stuff is involved. I don't know why that is. <laughs> but, and I don't mind. I told Marcus, I'm going to, whatever the next thing is, I'm going to take it. And so, but it just seems like I always get the sexual stuff. But anyway, and I'm okay with that. But, but I'm just saying, uh, it's important to understand what sexual morality is. And <laughs> sexual immorality is very, very clear. You know, it's interesting. The old King James uses the word, it uses the word fornication. And that's actually a clear word. Sexual morality has a wide range. What does that really mean? Well, I want you to know what it really means. It means sexual intercourse. That's what it means. And, and in the, I can't think of its vines or one of the definitions, it says that that is also includes homosexuality and lesbianism as well as heterosexual sex in that form. So uh, again, you know, the key is to here to recognize how God sees us. Now, uh, I'm gonna, he's going to get in. Paul is really speaking to the people of Corinth because he doesn't want them to be destroyed by this and to, and, and to have their relationship with God injured and to have the culture. And, and so uh, we move on. I'm going to move back to where I was in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to move to verse 9. So go back to 1 Corinthians. And uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians 9. I mean, 10, verse 9. And verse 9, we pick it up, and it says this. It says, um, this is where, it says, nor should we put Christ to the test. Now, the first thing he talked about was idolatry. The second thing was sexual immorality. Now he's talking about the third thing. He says, now we should, nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and died from snake bites. So what is the test he's talking about? He says, and don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Now, I don't know about you, but complaining or grumbling doesn't seem worthy of death. But when you're grumbling against God, apparently it was under the old covenant. Anyway, say, thank God we're under the new covenant. <laughs> but it still shows that God doesn't, he doesn't want these things to be part of our life. And that's what Paul was really addressing. Uh, he says... These things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So in other words, he's saying this, the, the old covenant, all these stories were a warning to us. And then uh, I want you, I'm going to just show you here in Numbers. You can put Numbers 21 verses 5 and 6. This is what he was referring to about the people murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. 
And, uh, and, and he said, they began to speak against God and Moses. Why, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. In other words, God brought him supernaturally out of Egypt, brought him through the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army, fed them manna in, 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 the, you know, in the wilderness, did all these things, led them you know, by night with fire, led them by day with a cloud, and they're still complaining and mumbling and grumbling. And what they didn't realize is that mumbling and grumbling was keeping them from getting to the promised land, along with the idolatry and along with the sexual morality. And so I just want to say to us, if we're going to live the life God's called us to, we can't allow those things into our life as strong as they may try to come, because they will. They will try to come. They will try to come. I mean, think about it. You know, we're human beings, and we have drives, and we have desires, and, and, so, and, and when things don't go well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I complain. <laughs> God, thank you for not killing me. Anyway, sometimes I mumble and grumble. When I think it should happen this way and it doesn't, I get ticked off and I grumble about it. Now, how many of you know that's not a good thing? Amen? That's when I need his grace and his mercy, and I need him to get me back on the track when I'm not ticked off about things. And, uh, you know, and the Holy Spirit and my wife are very good at helping me in that way. Now, uh, I just want you to see this. Um, and it says, they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out to die here, you know, in Egypt, to die in the wilderness? They complained, there is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. <laughs> they, they, you know, I mean, even though manna was incredible, you know, they were complaining about it. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. So don't complain, okay? If you don't like the meal on Wednesday night, don't say anything about it, okay? Because <laughs> we've got snakes in the back room. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, it's important. So, and here's the other thing that happens. Now, you might say, well, I'm not doing any of those things. You know what? I'm not involved in idolatry. I'm not involved in sexual immorality. And I never mumble or grumble. Well, let me tell you, there's a warning in here for you. Verse 12, it goes on to say this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. I'll give you a scripture that backs this up from the Old Covenant. It's Proverbs 16, 18. Why don't you read it with me? Pride goes before... Well, actually, pride goes before destruction. This is, this is the NLT. So let's, let's read it again. Ready? One, two, three. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. You know, <laughs> I've seen people that get real proud and they get really think they're a little better than everybody else. They think, you know, I'm not doing that. I want you to know that is such a destructive form. That's how Satan fell from like lightning from heaven because he began to take the glory to himself. He began to say, I will be worshipped. I, I will receive the worship. You know, why do I need to give it to God? And so, boom, he was thrown out of heaven. And he fell like lightning. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so, the truth is that pride is a horrible, horrible sin. And the problem is, you know, the other sins we can point out. Lots of times we are, we're not aware of pride. Pride is something that we don't see. In the scripture in James 
4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many know grace? How many know it's better to be humble? What's humble? Totally dependent on God. Having God first in your life. Having, having surrendered to him. Having your heart turned to him. It's not kicking the dust and saying, shucks, I'm nothing. That's just, that's just low self-esteem. That's not, that's not humility. Humility is being totally sold out and dependent on God. And when we do that, it's hard for pride to get in because we realize we have a lot of failings in our own life and we're not perfect and we don't do everything right, but God loves us and we love him and so we receive his grace and when we stumble, we're able to receive that grace and not stay in condemnation and not get pushed down deeper and deeper by the devil, but we can come out of that condemnation and and we can rise above because we know how much he loves us. Amen? You see, it's really, really important, but pride keeps us from that. And so pride, I think of all these things that he warns us about, I think pride might be one of the worst and most deceptive of, of, the, of the areas here. So <laughs> that's why he says, you know, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall or lest you fall. Now, I really want to focus now on how do we handle these temptations and trials? Paul wouldn't be addressing the Corinthians and, and obviously addressing us if these weren't real things that we had to deal with. If this was just, you know, the, the pagan culture, the pagans or the, the, the non-believers were dealing with it, then it wouldn't be in here. This is written to Christians. Christians struggle, folks. I know people put on a good face on Sunday morning and they look really good. But you'd be surprised the struggles that people go through. We, we go through struggles. We do. But we have a God who understands that. In fact, it says we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with all our weaknesses and struggles. That's in Hebrews chapter 4. It's a very powerful verse. We have a high priest who really understands our struggles. He understands our weaknesses. He understands the things we struggle with. And so, therefore, it says we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. When do you have time of need? When you're struggling. That's when you need his grace. I don't need his grace when everything's going great and I'm riding high. I don't need his grace then. But I desperately need his grace when I'm going through things and I'm battling and I'm battling the flesh and I'm battling other things. That's when I really desperately need his grace. And here's the amazing thing. In Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross was so incredible. The Israelites didn't have that. They could go and confess their sin. They could get their sins covered for a year. But we can go to Jesus and he forgives us. And he puts us back on our feet. He cleanses us. He justifies us. That's just as if I've never sinned. I mean, the grace of God is such an amazing thing. And that grace not only forgives us and cleanses us, but it also empowers us because we're so grateful to him for what he does and what he's done that it helps protect us against falling again to those things. Grace of, the grace of God is amazing. It's so powerful, and sometimes we just take it for granted. But I want to tell you, when you're struggling, you really understand the grace a lot more than when you're not. We need to not only experience His grace, but we need to be purveyors of His grace. We don't need to condemn people for the struggles they're going through. That doesn't help them. That just drives them down. That's what the devil does. He brings condemnation, he brings shame, he brings guilt. And he goes, you're not a good Christian, you're never going to do it, you're not this, you're not that. And he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. 
And sometimes, unfortunately, Christians fall into that same pattern and they begin to accuse and, and they begin to, you know, they begin to speak things that are not uplifting. They're not in the grace of God. People need grace when they're down and out and when they're struggling. And I just want to tell you tonight, you can either dispense grace or you can dispense condemnation. And I'm telling you tonight, if you know the grace of God, you need to be a person who can dispense grace because that's what people need in this world. They don't need to be pushed down and told how bad they are. They need to say, hey, you know what? You have a God who deeply loves you. He's for you. He's rooting for you. He's there to help you. You just got to be honest with him. You got to be straight with him. You got to be clean before him. You know, it's interesting. And this, I'm going to kind of focus on this last verse. Uh, how do we handle temptations and trials? It's really interesting here. The word for trial or test or temptation it's the same Greek word. It's, it's P-E-I-R-A-M-O-S. It's, oops, it's not up there, sorry. Uh, there it is. It's pyrosmos is how you're supposed to say it. Pyrosmos. Pyrosmos is the same word. Now, how do you know whether it's temptation, trial, or test? Well, you know by the context. That's how you know. Now, it's really interesting. Every translation I looked at, Every translation I looked at translated the word here uh, in this verse. It translated it as, go ahead and put the verse up. I'll show you. Um, it says, we all experience times of testing. Oh, this is a, actually, uh, well, you, the only, the, okay, go put it up now. You already put it up. <laughs> so put it back up. So the only translation that translates this testing or trials is the Passion Translation, which I like many times. Here I don't like it. Because if you followed me in the context, this is talking about temptation. It's not talking about just trials. It's talking about temptation. Every other ESV, NIV, King James, New King James, uh, every other translation, this is the only one that does this. And actually, I told Marcus to take that out, but it popped up. Anyway, because uh, it's, anyway, Skip it. Let's go to the, go, go to the other one. It, oftentimes, the passion is great. Here, it's, it's very poorly translated. When you look at the Greek and you study it, uh, they took some liberty with it, and it, they took it out of context. But here's what it says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, you know, the translation says, you know, the temptations that we experience are common to, to, to man or common to people. So we all go through the same temptations. It's not like we're tempted more than somebody else. We're all tempted. They're common, meaning in common. We have that in common with every other human being, okay? Follow me? Now, it goes on to say this. It says, and God is faithful. What is God? Now, this is important to see this. Because when you're going through a trial, you better know God is faithful. You better know that God's with you. You better know that God's for you. And it doesn't matter what's against you. And then it goes on to say this. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now, what does that mean? It means that when the temptation comes, it's, he's saying he's not going to allow you to be tempted more than that. It doesn't mean he's going to pull away the temptation, but he's going to give you the strength to endure it. In fact, that's what he says. This is what he says. Some people say, well, God, take away the temptation. Doesn't mean the temptation's going to go away. That's not what he's saying. Put it back up again. And it says this. 
It says, he will not let tempted be more than you can stand. And here's what he explains it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out or a way of escape so that you can what? That you can endure. You see, what it says here is he's going to show you a way of escape so you can endure it. That way it won't overtake you. However, it doesn't say he's going to force you to take that way of escape. He's going to show you the way. He's going to show you the way out, but you're going to have to take that way. It isn't automatically going to... He's not going to just walk you out of the temptation. You've got to make the choice to go out of the temptation. I've got to tell a story, and my wife's here, so I hope it's okay. But anyway, uh, after I got divorced, I went through a lot of struggles. And, uh, you know, I, I won't go into the details tonight. Uh, but, uh, but I remember, you know, I mean, I struggled in a lot of ways, you know. Sexual stuff, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, but here's what I want to say. I remember I was, uh, I was a teacher, and I remember I woke up one morning, and I realized that I had the summer off, and the kids were going to be with me for part of the summer and with, with my ex-wife. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to stay in Greeley for the summer. Uh, Greeley's a nice place, but I didn't want to stay there for summer. So I had a friend that I grew up with who had a, he had a, a landscape company in, in Martha's Vineyard. And I thought man, I'm going to go to Martha's Vineyard, you know? I mean, that's a beautiful place. You know, it's the, <laughs> the, fun, the fun place of the rich and famous. Anyway, uh, it's off Cape Cod, for those of you who don't know that, and uh, that's where Ted Kennedy drove off Chappaquiddick, uh, just to, you know, give you a little history there. But, but anyway, the point is, what I want to say is uh, I went there, and about two weeks before I left, I had some friends that came up to Greeley. They stayed at my house, I had led them to the Lord a few years prior, and they said, hey, tomorrow morning, Sunday, before church, let's get up and pray. And I went, oh, great. Let's get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, wonderful. Anyway, I, you know, I want to set a good example since I led them to the Lord. Okay, I'm up. I'll be there. So I got up 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's amazing. We were praying, and I had this open vision. I've only had an open vision a few times. In the open vision, I saw two paths. One was a broad path. And it was fun. There were girls and alcohol and drugs and everything. And it was just a broad path. And it looked really inviting. And then I saw this arduous tr path. It was like, a, uh, it was like a, a mountain trail. It was arduous and it was steep and it, and it went like this. And all of a sudden it opened up. And in the clearing there was a woman standing there. And then it went further as the path went up. And it was a lonely path. It wasn't a happy-go-lucky path. It was like when you had to struggle on. And then it opened up again, and there was this multitude of people. And so I thought, wow. And the Lord just spoke to me, not audibly, but he just said, the choice is yours. And I went, whoa. Well, I mean, most people would take the broad path because it looks like a lot more fun, a lot more exciting, but it didn't lead anywhere. It just was this flat path, just went this way. This path led somewhere. It led, I believe, to where my wife would be, and then further up to where ministry would be. That was my heart. I only can say that by, I thank God for his grace. I thank God for that open vision. Because I am not convinced, but I have a feeling that had I not had that, because I had some major temptations happen that summer, I think I probably would have fallen, or a very good chance I would have fallen. The problem is, had I fallen, I think I would have kept falling, and I never would have missed out on Yvonne. Because she was praying and fasting that summer, 
believing for her husband. I got to tell you, and I just got to tell you this. I don't think I've told this story to many people, but, but I just want to tell you that I am amazed by God's grace because he knew me well enough and loved me enough. Now, I still had to make the choice. Does it mean I wasn't tempted in Martha's Vineyard? <laughs> I won't tell you those stories, but, but anyway, I was tempted. But I can say that by the grace of God, I didn't fall. And then I, that, that fall, I was leading the, the singles group. It's really funny how Yvonne and I met. I wasn't dating anybody. I didn't want to date. I just, you know. But I was leading the singles group. <laughs> we were supposed to go on a, we were supposed to go down to Denver, the singles group. We had a good singles group. It was about 30 people. And anyway, we were, we were supposed to go on a, to a Christian concert. And usually we'd have about maybe seven or eight people would show up. Well, Yvonne was the only one that showed up that night. And so we waited. And finally I said to her, I said, well, looks like it's just you and me. Do you want to go down? She goes, sure. So we drove down. We had a great time together. We drove back. We had a great time together coming back. And we just started hanging out together. And then eventually we started dating. And, and so, but we made a pact to stay pure until we got married. And I, I got to tell you something. You know, that's not easy. When you're really attracted to somebody, uh, you know, she had to slap me a few times. But anyway, the bottom line was, the bottom line was, I want you to, here's what I want to say. I, I just want to say that God is so good if you'll do it his way. <laughs> He's so good if you'll do it his way. But sometimes we don't want to do it his way. We want to do it our way. But I want to just say this again. Put that scripture up again, if you would, that last scripture, because this is a very powerful scripture, especially in context, when you see it in context. The temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. God is what? God's faithful. And then he goes on to say, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Why? Because when you're tempted, he will show you the way out so that you can endure. He showed me the way out by giving me that vision. He'll show you the way out. But you also have to walk in the way out. Amen? Because just because he shows it to you doesn't mean you're going to do it. And as I said, he doesn't make you walk in that way. You have to do it. You have to choose. <laughs> the scripture says, choose this day. You got a choice of life. You got a choice of death. So what are you going to do? I just want to encourage you to choose his way. Why? Because his way is always a blessed way. His way is so powerful. And in our culture, our culture is just like the Corinthian culture. It's just, you're to totally bombarded all the time. They didn't have internet. Now, you know, now we have internet. And internet comes in and tries to, tries to pull us away from God. I mean, you know, I mean, internet is not all bad. I'm just talking about the pornography and all the stuff that pops up. You know, the little things that pop up on your screen when you're trying to do something else. And, and it's, I just got to tell you. We have constantly are being bombarded. That's why our heart has to burn for him. That's why we've got to stay close to him. And we've got to realize when we stumble, that's the time to run to him. It says that that's when you come boldly to the throne of grace. You don't come with shame. You don't come with condemnation. You come boldly to the throne of grace and say, wow, I really screwed up, God. I deeply need your grace. Come and let my heart burn for you again over all these other things. That's what it's all about. I want to pray for you. I know some of you are Avalanche fans, and I know you want to watch the game tonight. So <laughs> it didn't start till 8 o'clock, so you're not going to miss anything. So anyway, I want to pray for you. And, uh, you know, 
I'm just trying to think. We've got a few more minutes, and so uh, I'm finished, you know. Uh, but, but I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll just have people up here to pray, I guess, or, uh, or if you want to get with somebody. You know, if you want to get with somebody and just pray with them. If you're, maybe you're being tempted. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're tempted to eat ice cream every night. <laughs> don't say anything, honey. Anyway, <laughs> uh, by the way, we're going to the beach in a few weeks to Mexico. So I, I have given up ice cream. I know you're not going to believe this, Mike, but I have given up ice cream because uh, I was eating a bowl of ice cream every night. And I noticed that my, my stomach was growing. <laughs> but no, I'm not showing my abs, no. No, 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 no. Maybe in a few weeks, but not now. <laughs> There's a little bit of a covering over my abs right now. It's an ice cream covering. Anyway, but anyway, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you, and uh, I just want to tell you I love you, and thanks for being here tonight. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you for reaching every person within the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will burn for you. I pray that you'll come, and you'll, you'll literally just allow the lessons of the old covenant which I thank God we're not under. I thank God for Jesus in the new covenant. But those lessons are still vital and valuable to us. Thank you that we have a greater, a greater one in Jesus Christ. That's why the new covenant is so much better. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. God, you've given us so much to walk with you. But help our hearts to burn for you. Help us not to get distracted. And when we have been or when we are, Lord, cause us to repent quickly, to run to you, to receive your grace and forgiveness, to come out from under condemnation and shame and guilt and to run to you and walk cleanly, justified as if we never sinned before your throne and before you and with you. Tonight, Lord, I ask you to move in a supernatural way. We love you and we give you the glory tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.